This is Father Aaron with another podcast. When we read sacred scripture, it's helpful to remind ourselves that the evangelist, the human authors of the gospel, they're not novelists. The details they give about a given scene are not provided to make the story particularly interesting or even to give it an element of reality. Notes like, it was the fourth watch of the night, or the wind was against the boat, should not be read as mere external or ornamental elements of a narrative, but as part of the message of the gospel. What was significant about the fourth watch, or about the wind, or a boat? These are important questions to contemplate, and to that end, it's often helpful to consult a commentary and see how the commentary will treat these matters. The first detail of this account in St. Matthew's Gospel is that Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. When we hear the word boat used in the Gospels, we should recall other images of boats given in Scripture. Several of the apostles, for example, were fishermen. Jesus met them as they sat in a boat. In one account, we learn that Peter himself owned a boat, and that when he met Jesus, he offered to take him out to fish in that boat. After the resurrection, Peter again takes all of the apostles out in a boat to fish. Jesus tells the apostles they'll become fishers of men. There is the Ark of Noah, another great boat in Scripture, which itself sustained the people and creatures of God at sea during a mighty storm. The ancient fathers of the church often spoke of the church itself as the bark or the boat of Peter. And so it's not insignificant that the Lord is commanding the apostles in this gospel passage to climb into a boat and go out to sea. You can even read into this an image of Jesus commanding the apostles to take the church into rough waters. And what is causing these rough waters? A mighty wind, which is set against the boat. Wind is the second element we should consider. The lesson from the first book of Kings told us about Elijah's encounter with a strong and heavy wind. But the Lord, Scripture says, was not in the wind. And so too in the gospel, the Lord is not in this wind, which is set against the boat. Now, if the boat is the church, then the wind is that worldly force which is causing trouble for her. And to this end, it's important that the sacred author includes that it was the fourth watch of the night. 
You see, historians tell us that in Roman society, most nights were divided into three separate watches, or periods of time that the guard would mind the gates of the city at night. The watches were set about three hours apart, to prevent one watch from taking longer than another, and thus the guards falling asleep. But in those times of the year, when the night was exceedingly long, to prevent exhaustion, a fourth watch would be added. And thus St. Matthew tells us that it wasn't until the fourth watch that Jesus appeared to the apostles. In this, he reveals to us just how long the boat has been tossed at sea. The night has been long, and the apostles are probably very much afraid. Jesus, therefore, appears walking on the sea at the most dire moment of their fear. Rembrandt has an excellent depiction of the scene. The boat in his painting appears to barely be staying afloat as waves crash overboard. The apostles are hanging on to the masts, and the sails themselves are tearing. All around them is darkness. It's no wonder that Jesus says to them, Take courage, do not be afraid. The translation we're given does not do his greeting justice. The lectionary says, Take courage, it is I. But the Greek renders the phrase, Take courage, I am. It's the same words used here that God used to greet Moses in the burning bush, I am. Jesus is revealing to the apostles, not that he's merely with them, but that God is with them, and that he is God. In light of this, Peter's response is not one of doubt, but of extreme faith. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter doesn't say, if it's really you, then you could make me walk on water. No, Peter knows that Jesus has this power because he has just revealed to them that he is God. Peter knows Christ can make him walk on water, and he's not ashamed to ask for it. Lord, I know who you are. Make me walk on water. And Jesus does command. Peter is able to step out of the boat and walk. His request came from a great moment of faith, which is why when he begins to become fearful because of the wind, he sinks. Peter doubts, and his lack of faith causes him to sink. Now we too are in a certain boat, the bark of Peter the church. And 2,000 years after the resurrection, I think it's safe to say that we are in the fourth watch of the night. As more and more Christians can countries sacrifice Christian values, and even the people of greatest faith seem to be slipping away from the truth, we are feeling the effects of the wind of secularism on the church. Perhaps even the sails of the church are tearing, and she's even taking on water. But as the church faces difficulty, as we face struggles in our faith, Christ tells us, take courage, I am. The winds of the world are set against the church, but God is not in the wind. From one corner comes a wind which is causing us to question the purpose of the family or of marriage in a modern world. Another wind tells us to question the nature of truth or whether there is even something as basic as a fundamental truth or if truth is relative to the individual. Still another wind insists that religion itself is unnecessary, or that Jesus did not intend his followers to be part of an institutional religion. But God is not in the wind. He is not in the storm or the earthquake, the fire, the water, or anything that is in opposition to the boat. All of that he puts beneath his feet. And he tells us, take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. In other words, those who are disciples of the Lord and heed his commandments will not always have it easy. There's a host of televangelists and preachers out there who want to tell you the opposite. 
that God desires you have prosperity in this life or be free from chains or trouble. They say those who follow Jesus will never suffer in this life. That is not the message of Christ. In this life, the winds of the world are set against the boat. It will not be easy. The boat will take on water. The church will suffer. The Coptic Christians of Egypt who are being martyred daily know this. St. Maximilian Kolbe, as he chose to take the place of a Jewish man in Auschwitz, he knew this. The message of Christ isn't that you will have prosperity, but that you must take courage. And therefore, St. Paul in his epistle to the Romans writes, I speak the truth in Christ, I do not lie. I have great sorrow and constant anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh, but Paul doesn't wish that. St. Paul chose the harder way, the way that leads to Christ. St. Paul, St. Maximilian Colby, the Coptic martyrs, they're heroic not because they avoided suffering, but because in the face of great trouble they called out, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. All throughout the Gospels, we see Christ tell people that their faith has saved them. The Church of Scotland biblical scholar William Barclay writes, Jesus promised disciples three things. They would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Now Islam promises that all the disciples of Allah will be filled with happiness and pleasure, and that their nation will extend over all the earth. Hinduism promises that the holy person will have pleasure, economic security, and power. Buddhism promises an end to suffering. Mormonism promises that you can become gods of your own worlds and have endless numbers of children. But Jesus Christ, he promises that everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus promises the cross. Why then would anyone want to be Christian? Why would a woman choose to have children, knowing the pain she would endure? Why would a young man risk his life to defend his country? Why would parents sacrifice what they have earned to feed and educate their children? Why would athletes train their bodies? Why would authors spend years writing a single novel? We know that anything worth gaining is worth sacrifice. The message of Christianity is not an avoidance of suffering, but that Christ will give us courage and strength and will command us to come to him out on the water. Indeed, he has already made the greatest sacrifice for us. Now, there's a whole host of preachers and books which preach a Christianity without the cross. Joel, Steen, all of them. But the cross is the center of Christianity. And very rightly, the cross is the center of our church because the cross is our hope. We don't need the promise of worldly pleasures or riches because with Christ, we can face the death camp of Auschwitz and not be afraid.